Welcome to Sidebar, the bite-sized episodes of Fine Laws Don't Judge Me. I'm Laura Temi, and I'm joined by Baby Hemetha. Hello. Hi, and Joe Fabush. Hi, I thought we weren't doing introductions for Sidebar. Are we? Have we changed it? It, it came to my attention that every episode could be someone's first episode. Exactly. <laughs> so... I'm I'm trying it out. We'll see how it goes. All right. Um, I mean, you know how long it took me to to get comfortable with getting the the initial intro right. So I'm surprised <laughs> that I got that out in one take. In which case, we should just keep moving. Um, one thing I wanted to ask everybody is, what has everyone been watching on Netflix? <laughs> oh man, I have. I'm gonna have a hot take that no one's gonna agree with. I oh boy. since the advent <laughs> since the advent of Netflix, but especially since the pandemic, I have had a rule which none of my friends agree with, uh, that I will, I'll watch movies by myself, sure, but I refuse to watch a TV show by myself, not because I don't love it, because I love it too much, and it ends in a spiral. So unless I have someone ah, to watch okay. it with, unless I have an accountability buddy, okay. I will not watch a show. But what that has resulted in is me starting a TV show, me starting like 27 different TV shows and getting like <laughs> two or three episodes in with a different friend, okay, and then nothing. Because it's uh-huh. hard to coordinate schedules. So <laughs> That's I've very like, true. I've watched the pilots of so many shows that I've never finished, basically. <laughs> okay. Well, today we're talking a little bit about a documentary. Um, it's not a series, so you could watch it by yourself. It's just one. It's a one-off. The rule doesn't apply. Awesome. And I'm sure it. other people have noticed, well, I've talked on the show before about how, how into true crime I am. So I have definitely mm-hmm. watched many of the docu-series and documentaries that Netflix has come out with in the last couple of years. Um, the one we wanted to talk about today is Our Father, which came out, I believe, uh, a couple of months ago. Um, there's some interesting legal issues at play in this in this whole situation. And uh, Joe, I wonder if you'll give us a little bit of background on the story behind this show. I will, but before uh, anybody gets mad, we we will be doing spoilers here. So this yes, is your <laughs> official spoiler <laughs> well, alert. We are we are happy right. to have you come back after you've seen the show Our Father on Netflix. It's true crime without a crime sort oh, of. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and this also, I mean, it, we're not going to get explicit, but if you're listening to us while you're eating lunch, um, <laughs> thank you, but you you may I also want to wait until you're after you're, yeah. you finished your lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the story of Dr. Donald Klein. And he was a infertility or fertility doctor who was one of really the pioneers mm-hmm. of the field. Yeah, it was back in the day when it was an emerging thing, right? Mm-hmm. In the 70s, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was out of Indianapolis and it was a small practice, just him and a partner. And he treated quite a few couples in the Indianapolis area. He was a well-respected member of the community. He was a church elder. He did a lot of charity events. And now you're going to get the but. <laughs> there's always, but. Oh, there's always a but. Exactly. Thanks yeah. to the advent of the modern mm-hmm. trend of everyone getting the 23 in me or Ancestry.com uh-huh. or whatever. Yeah. He did something that is both inexplicable and... Um, Unprosecutable? Well, hmm. uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so so what he did was he began inseminating women without their knowledge or consent using his own sperm. This is actually a horror movie. 
Yeah, it mm-hmm. it's it's gross. And this was at a time before they used frozen sperm, as it's been uh, revealed that you can transmit diseases with with fresh mm-hmm. sperm. But mm-hmm. um, it was one of those things where donors were not necessarily as heavily regulated or known. It wasn't just uh, Donald Klein. It was also uh, other fertility doctors around the country. They really didn't have lists or anything of who the donors mm-hmm. were. Uh, most often, they would just take medical students. Yeah, was- they talk about that on the documentary. One of his one of his admins, I think, she talks about how she would go across the street to the hospital where the medical residents were working, get samples from them, carry them back across the street, and just hand them over. Like it's yeah, it's all very loosey goosey. It's interesting. And was this under the guise of him, the doctor, inseminating the mother? He like he would tell the mothers that he was inseminating them with the mother's choice of sperm, like the mother's husband or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They were being told that it was either a donor that they had picked mm-hmm. or yeah, or their own their own partner. Yeah. 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 And and so you might think, oh well maybe he did that when there were no other specimens mm-hmm. available or something like that. Maybe he was nope. just trying to keep his practice. No, but this actually happened nope. <laughs> when even with couples who were having difficulty mm-hmm. conceiving and the father would be there during the process mm-hmm. and, and had already provided a sample and uh, he would go to his office to collect the sample and it turned out he was replacing the would-be father's sperm with his own and then using Mm -hmm. that to inseminate the woman and, of course, did not tell them that he was doing this. So the biggest question, I think, is why? Like, (laughs) Well, it was like through some religious motivations or ideological, like religious ideology. Yeah, they get into that a little in the documentary. And, I I mean, it's hard to say because, like, part of the thing is that this this person was very – well, first of all, he told, at, and you, if you watch the documentary, it all kind of comes out in pieces. Where mm-hmm. first, a couple of people find you know connections to each other through DNA testing, like Twenty Three and Me, where they're like, "Oh, this person's my half sibling," and they start putting two and two together and think, "Well, the common denominator is this person." And at first, when they start going to him and saying, "Hey, you know, were you using your own?" like your own samples for this or what happened. And, and at first he says like, Oh, okay. You know, I like, yeah, I did, but I only did it three times. And then all of a sudden there's 10 siblings and he says, okay, but it's definitely not more than 12. (laughs) And now, and it just keeps going up and up. And like, I just remember as I was watching this, I was just so now there's like almost flabbergasted. Yeah. At Mm -hmm. the end of the documentary, they say there's at least 94. Wow. And it just, and yeah, the, the why, <laughs> is anybody's guess of why why someone would do this and well, he has not really said anything about why this guy this dude is part of like an extremist christian sort of cult or something sect that's right? the theory i don't know if there's anything to substantiate that um yeah it it, yeah. it could be religious it could be sexual it could be that mm. he just is a little cuckoo yeah or thought it was <laughs> easier to do it this way like or maybe Mm -hmm. you know it it could even be some kind of a racial thing like you know he Mm -hmm. he thought he had excellent genes and wanted to Mm. promote the 
the blonde hair, blue eyes kind of thing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. again, this is entirely speculation because mm-hmm. he hasn't said why mm-hmm. he would do it. But those mm-hmm. are kind of the some of the reasons that people thought up for why he did it. Um, mm-hmm. But what was super interesting in researching this, uh, he was not the only fertility doctor around this time to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This actually has happened around the country particularly around that time when donors didn't really have any hoops to jump through. Mm-hmm. A doctor did this in Nevada. Um, mm-hmm. That happened. Mm-hmm. And, and there's been a couple other ones. I think the Nevada doctor did it maybe a dozen times. I haven't heard of anyone who did it almost a hundred times like Donald Klein. <laughs> yeah. So the hoops that you, like the regulatory hoops that you, that have been established since, since Klein's time, are they only what what are they are they like in somehow um getting sperm to be more safe at, um lessening the risk of of an STIs transmission or is it more also to assure that the sperm is who it says it is yeah i think i think one of the biggest things is that now fertility clinics use frozen sperm it's easier to get donor samples the law is also clearer about paternity when this mm-hmm. was first becoming a thing, it wasn't clear what rights and obligations the donor would have toward a baby conceived because this was brand new technology at the time. Uh, and that has resolved itself a little bit. And I don't want to get sidetracked too much with you know paternity laws and that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. I will say that fine law has an extensive section on in vitro fertilization and the laws and regulations around um, paternity and that sort of thing. So if this is mm-hmm. interesting, we'll link in the show notes to that section and you can research and, and get your questions answered. Mm-hmm. Now a doctor going to get a fresh sample uh, would not happen because it's it's done in a different way. As you can imagine, a lot of the women, when they found this out, it, it really started with his, I'll call them his children. I don't know that all of them consider, you know, I mean, right. they all, they yeah, all have I think in the, in the documentary, they call themselves siblings because yeah. they, like, they, they can, you know, they feel connected to each other, but not they're to like, necessarily. They're like all half siblings, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they, they were obviously shocked and um, upset. Some were were quite devastated. I believe Mm -hmm. one woman who had the procedure done basically just said I was raped like 15 times and didn't even know it. So Mm -hmm. there were a lot of powerful emotions involved. Oh, well, well, I was gonna say, like, it seems like there's two very different plaintiffs that could potentially be at play here. The, The the mother like the, you know, the yeah, the mother of his eventual children, and then the children themselves, right? And mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting to see what kind of uh, legal stance either of them have, if any. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the big question in all this: yeah. is what what sort of legal recourse do so, they have? So let's start with the mothers. What can the mothers allege legally? Well, at least in the documentary, they were much more focused on the criminal aspects of the case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I think they were angry and upset and wanted justice and accountability. And so mm-hmm. what the the person who broke the story open, she contacted 
the attorney general of her state of Indiana just to see what her options were. And she was she a ba- child. No, she was an adult at this no, time. No, I was an adult. As yeah. in, I'm sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. Or, was she one of his children or was she one of his patient yes. mothers? Yes, she was one of the siblings. She was one yeah. of the siblings, yeah. And so yeah. She's, she got the ball rolling and it was mostly by accident. Um, she had known that she was conceived through in vitro fertilization and she thought it would be fun to see if she had any half-siblings in the area that she could connect with and... Mm-hmm. Klein's office had said that they never use a donor more than three times. And so she was expecting one, maybe as many as three siblings or two siblings. And she went and got a DNA test and went on online to see her matches. And she got mm-hmm. something like eight hits on like, yeah. here, here are your very close relatives. And so that got the ball rolling and eventually she basically discovered the process. And so her focus was mostly on contacting the press and um, getting the story out just to kind of hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. The attorney general's office didn't do a lot, particularly at first. It was actually a local news station that grabbed onto the story and started mm-hmm. talking about it. And that's kind of what made the attorney general's office focus on the case and there was strong evidence for what he did uh you know at the time you could imagine that he thought there was no way anyone would ever know or conclusively prove but of course advances in Mm -hmm. in our technology have let people realize who they're related to and their ancestry Mm -hmm. and what they wanted was was a criminal prosecution. They wanted him Mm -hmm. to be charged with rape. The prosecutors did not want to do that, though, because there was no law on the books in Indiana that came anywhere close to what this kind of behavior describes because, again, it was dealing with all new legal issues. And Mm -hmm. so there was not really anything that the prosecutors felt that they could do because their attitude was that all of the patients who submitted to this procedure submitted willingly. They provided consent and they signed a consent mm-hmm. form. To everything except for the specific sperm. Exactly. Raised. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. they felt that. Like they, the, the, the touching and all the, the procedures itself was consented to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so they felt like they couldn't go before a jury and say, mm-hmm. this is legally rape because. Mm-hmm. Based on criminal laws, it wasn't at all clear that it that they could get a conviction. Um, eventually, he was charged with a couple of felonies, but they were related to obstructing an investigation. So he ended up uh, getting about a year of probation and a five hundred dollar fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, all of this happened. It wasn't discovered. I mean, he went decades without anybody knowing the difference. Uh, And it wasn't discovered until about 2014, 2015. And Donald Klein retired in 2009. So he didn't even really have a a practice to go after. Right. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't bring a medical malpractice claim because it's not going to affect him like that. Yeah. Um, Although, you know, I am surprised that no one... Did no one pursue other civil, like, tort claims against him, even things like IIED, 
UIED, uh, basically intentional or unintentional infliction of emotional distress or other tort claims? There was no trial. Uh, I think he has settled uh, mm-hmm. with a few plaintiffs for something like, you know, $1.3 million or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Did this guy know, have deep pockets to pay? I imagine he did pretty well for himself. Yeah. I mean, he had his own medical practice. So yeah. I think that was probably, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, how much? I, I don't know that, you know, with 90 plaintiffs, like, yeah, <laughs> that, that that's a lot it's of gonna plaintiffs. It's going to add up quick. Yeah. Um, there's not a ton that happened criminally. He did lose his license to practice. But again, that was after he had already retired. Yeah. Uh, and some of these mm-hmm. torts, you know, some of these torts that I was talking about are, are essentially medical malpractice lawsuits, including, I think, wrongful birth is a potential claim. But those are usually taken in the context of... Um, you know, a birth that was likely to result in like fetal abnormalities or other complications, not like mm-hmm. I have the wrong dad <laughs> kind of thing. Right. There could potentially be claims for fraud. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it would almost that was my first thought. Yeah. It would almost be a consumer protection type of claim. Yep. Um, you know, but again, I, I don't know. I don't know all the details of what what the siblings were thinking, but. You know, with a civil mm-hmm. case, there's always a question of whether it's worth what you're going to go through to get to it. So, um, yeah. And there doesn't seem to have been a class action making any headway there, right? No. No, not that I know. Just kind of what you need for a lot of consumer protection stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, he did, he did well for himself, but uh, who knows how, how worth it it would be for. For a class action like that, it might not mm-hmm. be worth the effort. So on the criminal side of things, has this resulted in um, passing new criminal laws related to the subject? Yeah, it has, actually. It's not in every state, but Indiana itself did pass a law prohibiting this behavior. I don't know how many states have similar laws, mm-hmm. but again, like I said, I was surprised because I saw this case and I was like, who would even think to to do that and why? Yeah, and like, yeah. But mm-hmm. apparently it, it was more than just a one-time thing and a one person. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think I don't know exactly how many states have passed similar laws. But like I said, it, it's not as likely to occur now just because of changes in the industry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. developments in paternity law and that sort of thing. So um, what yeah. a weird and, loophole. <laughs> yeah, I know. Gosh. Yeah, it's a weird case for sure. <laughs> and it's sort of ironically, coincidentally timed. Like this, this show got or this movie, I guess, got really big right before um, the leaked opinion of the Dobbs case overruling uh, possibly the right to abortion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretty weirdly fortuitous timing on the on that kind of topical issue. Makes it all the more scary, certainly. <laughs> yeah, reproductive rights are front and center right now. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, worth worth a watch if you listen to us before watching the show. I'm I'm sorry if I ruined it for you, but uh, yeah, we didn't give it, away everything. No, no, we did not. What was and, the what was the Temi take? Is it two thumbs up from Laura Temi or? Yeah, I thought it was a. I mean, as far as true crime docs go, it was fairly well done. I think it could have been a little shorter. Watch it on two times speed, guys. That's what I plan to do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's an interesting case, and it's definitely one that makes you scratch your head about various things of why would anyone do this and why was there not seemingly as much as far as consequences but yeah it very well could be that it's just not over yet 
Thanks for listening to Sidebar from Fine Laws Don't Judge Me. We'll be releasing these every other week between our full-length episodes. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if there's a topic you'd like to hear us cover, send us an email at finelawpodcast at thompsonreuters.com. <laughs>